If you're like me, you really do love the Christmas season. It's a wonderful time to, to remember that it's, it's a, a celebration. Even people of other religions celebrate Christmas. They may not know why, but it's celebrated all over the world. I think it's far too easy for us to get lost in everything else and forget Jesus and what happened. It's, and it's easy for us to, to kind of dismiss our own kind of ap- apathy or um, self-assured thoughts about what Christmas is and forget that it's really about Jesus and our response to Jesus Christ. Our response to the incarnate Christ who really did come to earth, God really came to earth as a man, as a baby. He was in the womb for nine months. God was in the womb for nine months. It's amazing. But it was prophesied long before the event. Indeed, we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 to see a hope and a promise of a Redeemer. But as the years move forward toward the event, the, the promises and the prophecies and the promises get very, very specific. Um, we see in Isaiah chapter 7 that it's promised the, that God would come as a man. Um, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, which is the text this morning, we see that it's promised that he would come as a child and that he would be wonderful. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? This is Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. This word was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is perfect and inerrant. Hear this word this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shone light. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Please be seated. Let us go to the Lord once again in prayer and ask Him to give us wisdom 
and blessing. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what wonderful words, what good news we have just read. We pray that your Holy Spirit would impress on our hearts the truth and the glory of this announcement. That we would be changed. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray. And please strike a straight blow with this very crooked stick. In Jesus' name, amen. So I find it very uh, fascinating as a person who loves literature and just loves stories. If you look at all of the best stories in the world, almost all of them have kind of the same elements, don't they? There's a hero. There's a villain. There's maybe great sorrow and suffering. But there's also deliverance and hope. Uh, there might be a fight. Maybe not a, a, an actual fight between a physical fight, but there might be some conflict. And then a victor. It doesn't matter to really whether it's a fairy tale or a comic book or a novel or a movie. A good one will have those elements in it. So if you, if you believe that's true, and maybe there are a couple of exceptions, but if you really think about it, why is that? I mean, it doesn't matter what culture. All of those elements are present. If it touches your soul... There must be a reason. And even for people who aren't Christians, I think the same things hold true. Why is that? I believe that it's hardwired into every man because it points us, those themes point us to a Savior. They point us to the story that we just read, the story of God's redemptive plan. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of Jesus. There is a great conflict between good, God, and evil, Satan. And Satan brought great darkness upon the land. And after the first sin, that darkness, that curse was spread all over the earth. You remember Joy to the World, we sang that Christ came to bring light far as the curse is found. That's the whole earth. That's what that hymn is telling us. I'm going to focus primarily on verses 2 and verse 6 in Isaiah. If you look at verse 2, this, this chapter is describing for us the gloom and the darkness that's falling over the Israelite people because they're being oppressed. The Babylonians from the north are powerful and they are threatening Israel. And it's, it's a gloom that just can't... Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah separated. The northern kingdom of Israel is already gone. They're already in exile. The southern kingdom of Judah is all that's left, Jerusalem. And they're feeling the gloom as the Babylonian empire presses upon them. And in the midst of that gloom, the prophet Isaiah says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has come. So if you will, look closely at that sentence. Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's speaking of something future tense. 
It's something that happens, sorry, something that happens in the distant future, but then he's talking about it in past tense. They have seen a great light. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Why does he do this? He's speaking in the past tense as if it, it had already happened. Well, when God speaks, he can do that because it's as if it had happened. Nothing will thwart the plan of God, and especially as it relates to redemptive history, the history of God saving man. Nothing can change what he's determined. These people are fearing that they will be overrun and exiled into Babylon. And we know that in about 100 years that actually happens. This was written in about 700 B.C. Uh, About 100 years later, that actually happens. Babylon overruns Jerusalem. Everyone is exiled. But this prophet is speaking of their future deliverance from Babylon, bringing them back to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, which is going to be destroyed. So for the hearers, those Israelites who are sitting there listening to the prophet Isaiah in Jerusalem, this was a good word. This was a word of, of, of hope that, yes, it is dark and we probably will be destroyed, but there's hope. There will be light once again. But more importantly, as many of the prophecies have multiple different facets of their fulfillment, this prophecy points most specifically, we see in retrospect, at the coming Messiah, the God, man, Jesus, the hope of Israel. And better yet, it describes the darkness of Satan, of sin, and of death being penetrated, being completely enveloped by light. Spiritually, all people do walk in darkness and have ever since the fall of man. So all of us can say that we dwell in a land of deep darkness. Apart from Christ, we all are in darkness. Every one of us. There's a great leveling effect. No one is good enough. No one has any light in themselves to bring themselves to God. We're all on our faces. We're all spiritually dead. And for this reason, Matthew also uses this scripture, this very scripture, people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, to describe the ministry of Jesus Christ. In the book of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus spent much of his time in Galilee, much of his time in the north. And this prophecy specifically addresses the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, would seem to be coming from the north, from Galilee. He did bring light. John, most helpfully, talks about Jesus being light. John chapter 1, introducing Jesus to the world. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not dwell in darkness. He said, I have come into the world as light. And whoever remains in me will not remain in darkness. When is that light and darkness? When, when, do you, when else in the Bible do you remember those two things being mentioned together? It's in the very creation of the earth, of the universe. And God said, let there be light. Jesus himself, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus himself is the light. 
This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you have faith, you are no longer in darkness. You are in the light. There is light in you. And this really is the point of this passage, of this verse 2 anyway. God promised once again that He would shine light on the earth, first to His people, Israel, but also bringing everyone into the tent of Shem, bringing everyone into the people of Israel, into the family of Abraham, everyone who would have faith in His Messiah. One day this would happen. The great and overwhelming darkness would no longer reign and His people would see a great light. That light was Jesus. So we need to think a little bit about who this Messiah is. And thankfully, even in this prophecy, we see it in verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I mean, this is Christmas. That's the joy of Christmas is celebrating that event. If you are, are like many people, when someone asks you about the gospel... Can you explain to me the gospel? Sometimes I ask people this question as, as um, just trying to get to know them. Can, can you just talk to me about the gospel? What does that mean to you? People are immediately nervous, aren't they? You might feel, be like this too. Uh, the gospel? I, uh, well, I, don't, I don't know how to say it. So let me just, if you're wondering how to talk about the gospel, let me just give you one easy word just to get you off on the right foot. Because you should be sharing your faith with others, and they need to hear the good news. Okay, are you ready? Jesus. That's your word. Grab a hold of it. Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news. Certainly you're going to want to say more than that, but if you start with Jesus, you got the gospel. Why did He come? Because we were all in darkness. We were all dead. We were all going to perish forever. And he sent, the Father sent his Son, Jesus, to do what the first Adam and every one of us after Adam could not do, which is live perfectly. Please God in his life to suffer and die as a sacrifice for each person who would have faith in him and to bring us back into communion. There may be darkness in your own soul this morning. You may have never considered these things before. But there is hope even for you. For everyone. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. So who is this Savior? He's described as coming as a child. A child is, is being born. A son is given. But to who? He says, for to us a child is born. Isn't that beautiful how, how even the prophecy proclaims that this is for us. It's not just for, for a specific person. He doesn't just say, for there will be a child born. And there will be a son who is born. He says it's for us. For the people of the earth. For humanity. This is good news. Yes, for the, for the hearers, for those who are listening, the Israelites who are hearing this prophecy, it's good news for them. 
They have hope that if, if they are sent off into captivity, that there will be a restoration. There will be change. But the completion of the good news, the ultimate fulfillment of the good news, is that the child, the Son, would come. The Son of God. And He would rule and there would be peace and happiness and comfort. And let me say it as clearly as I can, in case there's any confusion, this baby who was born was God. Not just He he was filled with the Spirit. Not just He was a kind of man, but just a a good man, a prophet. No, He was God. Jesus, the baby, was God. And there is... No doubt that he was born. Anyone who studies history knows that there was a baby born. There was a person on the earth named Jesus who really died on a cross. These are historical events. And I'm telling you, he was God. He was fully God and he was fully man. This was God's plan. Why did he come as a child? He came as a child because, as we read earlier, he was like us in every way. Every way. He was tempted like us, not internally tempted, but tempted from without, from the devil, from the world, in every way. And yet still sinless. This is a fulfillment of so many promises that he would come. And he did. And why? Because the government will be upon his shoulder. In other words, his kingdom. He was bringing his kingdom. When we pray, let your kingdom come in the Lord's prayer, what are we saying? We're saying, just as you came the first time to earth, bringing your kingdom to pierce the darkness, we want your kingdom to come again. Even now, before your second coming, let your kingdom expand by your your spirit upon all the earth. Truly, the government would be on his shoulder. You know, the church, the kingdom of God, rests completely on Jesus. All of it is because of Christ. All of it holds together because of Christ. The church's success belongs to Christ alone. Not to any man. Not because of any prayers. Not because of any preaching. It's all because of Christ. His kingdom is solely due to His own work. And because His work was done so perfectly well while on the earth, ending with His crucifixion on the cross, Paul says in Philippians 2 that God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He came the first time as a baby, friends. A humble child. The second time He comes, every knee will bow. It won't just be shepherds. Every knee will bow. They'll bow in fear and in awe because they know they've been in rebellion their whole lives against Jesus. Or they'll bow because their Savior has finally come. But every knee will bow. The name that's given Jesus here in verse 6 is also wonderful. And that actually brings me to to another point. There there are a lot of overused words, aren't there? You've seen these these little clips and these emails and these little sayings about all the words that are overused in the English language. 
like amazing. Like this, this cherry pie is amazing. No, it's not. What's amazing was the Apollo mission to the moon. That's amazing. Your cherry pie is not amazing. Or, oh, my beach trip. My beach trip was epic. No, no, it wasn't epic, actually. Magellan going around the world in three years in a wooden boat, that's epic. But your beach trip's not it. You see what I'm saying? There are so many words that are overused. And I could go on. Oh, that's awesome. That, that, that movie was awesome. Actually, no, it was not awesome. The men who stormed Omaha Beach during World War II, that was awesome. But that movie was just, it was a good movie. So I say that because when you read that Jesus is described as wonderful, do you understand that he is the only person that we can call wonderful? The only thing that was wonderful was what he did. He's the only one who owns that word. Nothing else is worthy of that word. And if you look in your Bible, if you have a newer translation, there's no comma after wonderful. In the Hebrew, there's no punctuation. The early translations of the Bible, the King James, the ASV, the New King James, they have a comma after wonderful. In other words, that's a name of Jesus, wonderful. If you don't have a comma there, I think it's okay to put a little comma right there. I did it in mine. His name shall be called Wonderful. How is Jesus wonderful? There's never been anyone like him. There never will be anyone like him again. We all want to be like him if we're in Christ. He's not a regular man in the sense that he's born in sin. He's wonderful. He's born holy. He's the Son of God. Calvin said the redemption he accomplishes surpasses even the creation of the world. The creation of the world was wonderful, but Jesus is more wonderful. He's a unique, fully human person because he's fully God. Perfect in every way, he's wonderful. And what he did is wonderful. To enable communion between a holy God and a very sinful humanity. Something that could not have... No one could understand how this would be possible. What had they been doing up until the time of Christ that was so inadequate? You would bring me, if I was your priest, you would bring me a cow. And you would put your hands on the head of the cow as I slit his throat and let the blood drain over the altar, and then we would cut it up and burn it. Or a sheep, or a turtle dove, or a pigeon. This was your atonement. Did it really atone for sin? No, it pointed to Christ, who would be the sacrifice. The real atonement. Up to then, it was all just types and symbols. It was kind of a, a, a dot, dot, dot. Wait until the end of the story. Wait until the real sacrifice comes. Wait until the real Lamb of God arrives. 
It all pointed to Christ. And what he did was wonderful. When he was sacrificed, you remember what happened? The curtain in the temple between the holy place and the most holy place was torn in two. In other words, there's no sacrifice left. The final sacrifice has been made. And just that is in itself wonderful. It means that sinners like us, like me, like you, can come to God. We can come to God because of Jesus, our wonderful Savior. The child that's given unto us, the Son, for us is wonderful. Nothing else should be called wonderful. What else is he? He's wonderful. He's our counselor. Have you ever been to a counselor? I've talked to a counselor a couple times in my life. Why do you go to a counselor? Why would anyone listen to a counselor? This is someone who's got wisdom. Jesus is the one who has wisdom. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He knows the beginning from the end and everything in the middle. Do you realize he knows every thought in your mind? Every day, every hour, every second. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your words before they're even on your tongue. He knew you before you were born. He knows you. So if you're going to go to, wisdom, for some, to someone for wisdom, Jesus is the man you want to go to. You're saying, well, I don't talk to him. Like, I don't see him. How am I going to get wisdom? He likes to talk. He talks to us here. All wisdom that we need for life and godliness is found in His Word. He's the perfect wisdom for our salvation. Not only that, for life. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1. Jesus Christ became wisdom from God for us. 1 Corinthians 1. Ephesians 1, God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This child for us, this son of God, has all wisdom. He's the perfect counselor. Because of his Holy Spirit living in us, he's also our comforter, which could also be translated counselor very easily. So the child, the son of God, is the perfect counselor for life. He has all wisdom. This is the promised Messiah. He's coming to a people who are confused and dismayed by life, didn't know what to do. The promise was a counselor is coming, someone with wisdom who will help you. What else is he? He's mighty God. Mighty God. I love this in the Hebrew because these words, mighty God, are just two very easy, easy words. L is God. Gabor is mighty. They're, they're words that are used all over the Bible. And yet they are used to describe the child that's born to us. He's God. He's a man and he's God. Isaiah knew it. This is clearly the Messiah. And because he's God and because he's mighty God, all the other descriptors make sense. Why is he wonderful? Oh, he's God. Why is he our counselor? Oh, He's God. 
Why is he the everlasting father? Oh, why is he the prince of peace? Oh, I get it. He's God. It makes sense of everything else, doesn't it? Just a few chapters before in a previous prophecy, Isaiah had called Jesus Emmanuel. And you all know Emmanuel means God with us. This was 700 years before he was born. This was already the hope of the Israelite people, indeed of the whole world. But not only is he God, he's the mighty God. This word also is translated warrior or strong. This is our God. I've talked about it so many times before, but you know this, this picture of Jesus as being this just kind of passive person uh, just is so frustrating. Jesus came to earth on a mission. He was a man of action. When I was in the service, I mean, I, I definitely have chilled out since... Uh, I left the military, but I would just walk through the airport and not in uniform and people could tell and they would say, are you in the military? And I'm like, I look like everyone else. I mean, I had short hair. I was like, what? why would you say that? Well, you seem you walk with a purpose. You, you have a mission. And I'm like, that's so strange. What was it? And you may have seen that about military people. Sometimes you can just tell they're. They're moving. They're going out with it. This is, Christ was like that on the earth. He had a mission. He was a mighty warrior. He was doing warfare. You wonder why when Christ came, so for 4,000 years before Christ, you never read of a demon. You never hardly read of Satan in the Bible. 4,000 years. Why is that? Satan isn't being threatened. It's the kingdom of darkness had descended upon the earth and God had given him some measure of authority. But as soon as Christ comes, what happens? Demons start showing up. Why? Because he's doing warfare. He's he's here as a warrior. He's conquering a kingdom. And it began when he showed up in that manger. The mighty God had come. And the devil and the demons and sin and death were no match for the, the second, the, the minute, the, the hour old baby laying in the manger. They were no match for that little infant. They tried to kill him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the mighty God. And he's mighty because he's possessing all power. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. And the more you understand and know that this child was God, and the more you know the child, the man, Jesus, the more you understand the Son of God, the less you fear in your own life anything. The baby is the mighty God. What else is he? He's the everlasting father. The everlasting father. You say, well, what does that mean? He's the father. I thought he was the son. Well, Isaiah is not saying that the father and the son are somehow the same thing. The same person. 
It was very common in the Old Testament for a king to be called the father of his people. And the people of the kingdom were called his children. And it's in this sense that he is called the everlasting father. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. There will be no end of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he's a good father for his people. He's a good king. The government is going to be on his shoulders forever and ever. And that's a good thing. For this reason, the child given to us is called Everlasting Father. And the special and precious part of it is that this child, this son given to us, brings us into his eternal family. Finally, he's the Prince of Peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. Prince Prince is a commander. It's a chief, a chief ruler. He's the clear leader of his church. But he's described not only as a leader, but as the Prince of Peace. The leader of peace. This is... This is more than just a lack of conflict. In the Hebrew, it's more like a sense of prosperity and and favor. And you should know that you can never have favor apart from Christ. You can never have favor with God apart from Jesus. He purchased peace with His blood. Now this doesn't mean that we have peace in the world. This doesn't mean that the the world will love all the people of God, or that Satan will begin to to love us. We know that in the world we're destined for trouble. There's still conflict. But we have a more important peace, and that's between the Father and us. Between the Son and the Spirit and us, the triune God. We have peace with God because of Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. So you should see this child clearly. I want to conclude with just some some thoughts about how this applies to us. We are remembering the child today. The child born in the manger. The child born in such humble circumstances. To poor parents. The child born in a barn with animals. We need to remember that this child is wonderful. When you feel like things are falling apart in your life, our government's falling apart, the culture is falling apart. Oh no, what's happening? Our finances are falling apart. The darkness is about to consume you. Jesus is wonderful. You need to look at Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He can help anyone in any situation in any way. Jesus can. Most importantly, He can make you right with God. When you're beset by difficulties or circumstances, you're confused about what to do, you don't know how to handle a particular situation, it's just too broken, the the people hate me too much, I don't know how this will ever be fixed, I don't know which way to move forward. He's called our counselor. 
This child given to us is our counselor. All wisdom rests with him. And if you need wisdom, you need to turn to him. It sounds easy. I'm not saying it will be easy. But you need to pursue Jesus and keep pursuing him until he gives you wisdom. And he will. When you feel weak or helpless, there's an addiction that you just cannot conquer. There's, there's a sin that will just not leave you alone. Maybe you feel defenseless or surrounded by people, by enemies, by people who hate you. You're unable to resist any longer. You're at the end of your strength. The child in the manger is our mighty God. He's the almighty king. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Trust in your mighty God. When you have a sudden fear, maybe when you face death or the death of a loved one, and you realize, I actually am going to die someday. You're at a funeral, often this happens, and you, you all realize, someday that will be me. And it will be. This is true. Your life is a breath. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. In 50 years and 100 years, no one will even remember you. It brings you to a place of despair, doesn't it? The child in the manger is the everlasting father. He's eternal. It's a breath for you only because God is eternal. He has no beginning or end. And although your life may be a breath, you are of precious value to him. God was the first, Jesus was the first man to die and then be resurrected, to have a glorified body, and then he ascended bodily into heaven. And he's there now. That's what we will do if we have faith in him. We will die and be given new bodies and we'll be living with him forever. Everlasting is forever. It's eternal. The child in the manger gives us hope that this will be for us. Finally, when Satan tempts you to despair, when he reminds you of your sin and your failure, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I sin too much. God cannot love me. I'm too worthless. I'm filthy in my sin. Well, it's true. You are worthless and filthy in your sin. But in Christ, you are righteous. In Jesus Christ and because of the baby in the manger, you can be right with God. It's not about being good enough. It's about being God's child. He was good enough. The Son of God came and lived perfectly. So when God looks at you, if you're in Christ, He doesn't see your filthy robes. He sees the whiteness of your robes because of Jesus Christ. You were once filthy with sin, but now you're whiter than snow. And because of Him, because of Christ, you can have perfect peace. He's the Prince of Peace. So what difference does this all make to you today? This is the last the last thing I want to say, if this Christmas day is just like any other day, if you really just are going to go home and eat a meal and 
say, wow, that was an interesting service. If Jesus doesn't change you at all, if knowing this about Jesus is just, ah, well, I'm glad we got to be together as a family. If you don't desire to know Jesus the man more intimately now than ever, then what an absolute waste of a day. If it's really just selfish indulgence and some big meal and some presents, what an absolute waste of time. Do you realize these events that we're talking about aren't just cute things that you see in a movie or uh, in a toy house with little figurines. These events happened. God came to earth as a baby. It's not a story. It's history. The Son of God came. The child came. Glory be His name. May his kingdom rise in our homes. May his kingdom rise in our hearts. May we seek him this day. May we repent of the smallness of this day in our own minds. Of this event. Of this man. May he transform us by his spirit. Let us pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you did send your Son. We thank you that your Spirit has the power to open our eyes, to see clearly what you've done. And we pray that your Spirit would do His work in each heart right now. Maybe we've been ignoring Jesus. Maybe we've been averting our eyes, not wanting to look at the truth and the glory of His name. Maybe we know that we are still in darkness, destined for an eternal hell. We pray that you would make in us a new creation, that our lives from this moment on would change forever, that we would love our Savior, that this child born for us would be embraced by us, that the Son of God would be our Lord and our King. Help us this morning, we pray. Be glorified this day. Be honored on this day of rest. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.